God's Word to the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Going to start reading at verse 17 and reading through the end of the chapter with verse 32 being our text for this morning. Let's hear then God's breathed out word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to, every, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as, in the, as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another to be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's again bow in prayer. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would be with us in this hour, that you would grant Pastor Bob clarity of mind and speech, and that we would hear your word, that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that would forever desire to follow after you and to be more sanctified. Be with us now, we pray, in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. And amen. The first Sunday of May, 1989 the first Sunday that I officially became the pastor of Little Farms Chapel. Over these years, we have certainly grown with God's blessing and the work of God's Spirit in hearts and lives numerically. There were approximately 20 to 25 folks in church that Sunday morning. 
We have grown not only numerically, we have grown physically. The church that uh, was occupied at, then at that time is now pictured in a watercolor that Ruth Lucas has painted. It's on the outside of the office door there. It was a small, small little brick building that housed perhaps we could get in 90 folks in a, in a comfortable setting with a very moist, muggy, stagnant basement as well. That was uh, a considerable, uh, I would say, upswing from the church that had been used previously that sat somewhere where the gym is. Over the course of time, God has blessed us not only numerically, God has blessed us physically in terms of building. And I would pray that over the course of that time, each of our hearts over the whatever period of time you have been a part of Little Farms has grown as well because that truly is the mark of whether or not we are growing. Not so much numbers in terms of people, not in terms of square footage, but in terms of are we growing spiritually? Are we growing in our walk with the Lord? These series of messages on marriage are another aspect of that. If we truly desire to reach out to this community, as someone reminded me this week, if we truly want to make a difference in this community, we need to be living transformed lives. The kind of transformed life that Paul is speaking about to the Ephesians living in not unlike similar conditions of our day and age today. But the call was to live as new creatures in Christ, a transformed life. And one of the things that will be truly a magnet in this community is if our marriages are lived for the glory and for the honor of God. If our marriages are truly transformed as well. And so no matter where you're at in that stage, perhaps through this series of messages, God will be faithful to his word and God will bless us with growth. Growth not of uh, square footage, growth not of numbers, but growth in terms of our relationships to one another. These words of Ephesians chapter 4 are addressed to the church. And especially this verse, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the way in which we are to operate as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. This is the call and summons upon each one of us. But this morning I want to take that verse and hone it in as far as it relates to our marriages. That which I am going to say has ramifications for our life as a church. But I'm focusing in upon that once again. So let's remind ourselves of where we were last week. We are building on the foundation. There were four corners of that foundation. We went over four scripture verses last week. Starting in Genesis chapter 1, 27, I invite you to turn back to it once again. 
Genesis 1:27. Foundation block. For God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him. Male and female, he created them. Foundation verse number 2. Genesis 22, verse 22. pages. Genesis 2, 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And that's where that emphasis fell. Brought her to the man. Foundation verse number 3. Genesis 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then we went to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. Matthew, chapter 19, where we hear Jesus' re repetition of much of that which we have read here. But then we read that he was speaking to them, and he said, Genesis, or Matthew 19, 4, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So we read of the creation of males and females, their distinctiveness, we read of God's instituting of marriage. We read what marriage is. And then we read of Christ affirming not only those truths, but adding to it the fact that this is to be permanent. It is not to be a means of separation or divorce as well. But marriage is meant to be till death do us part. But that's only the start. That's just our foundation. We need to build upon that foundation. If you recall, the, the basis for this message is, were the seven verses that this pastor uh, shared with this older couple, mature Christians who were getting married, who left it up to him. This was then his next verse. A principal verse upon which to build upon that foundation. That's our theology. Now comes the application. How do we build upon that foundation for our marriages? But before we go there, we need to stop because there is a visual reminder that, that every time I drive Wilson Avenue, between Richmond Street and Remembrance, my eye is drawn to. Because on the east side of the road as a kid, there was a house that was begun there. It was started. Land was cleared, a foundation was put in place. But that's all the farther it ever got. All there was was a foundation. No house was ever built. Year after year after year, that foundation stood there. 
until one day, finally, it was bulldozed. See, we can have the best of foundations, but unless we understand the cost of the building, we will be looking foolish. Jesus spoke about that in Luke chapter 14, uh, uh, about who, who is it that starts a building without counting the cost? How do, you, how do you lay the foundation without knowing the cost? So for those of you who are not yet married, never been married, perhaps are considering being married, you need to count the cost. Having those four foundational verses are important to have. It is important to have our theology of marriage embedded and entrenched. But you need to know what comes next. And you have to be willing to pay the cost of what it means to build a marriage upon that foundation. Therefore, we come to our text. Be kind. To one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Three specific commands. The first command, be kind. Be kind. Now this is not the, the sappiness of the world. It's a little bit different than that. The kindness here is the idea of being useful. The idea of being gentle. The idea of being pleasant. The idea of providing that which is suitable. Interesting that in the Greek, the, the word used here, krestos, kratos, excuse me, is a, a word that usually was given to common slaves. That's a name. It's interesting. That the name of your slave would be kind. In the sense of being useful. The slave was there to provide that which was useful. That which was helpful. That which was beneficial. It's interesting as well that it's actually a, a variant of the spelling of Christus, Christ. The one that we've been learning in Mark is the servant. Hmm? Now we begin to see more and more connections between this servant, don't we? Christ. And that which is taking place in Mark. And that which now we are called to be. We are to be kind. We are to be as Christ to one another. Spiritually, the, this term means to do that which God considers beneficial and eternally useful. That's what it means here when Paul says, be kind. To do that which is of eternal use for one another. 
Now, think about that in terms of a marriage. Kindness within a marriage is doing that which has eternal value to one another. That which is productive, that which is beneficial for the other. Now, why? What is the reason that we have? I mean, it's, it's fine, Paul says this. Why should, in our marriages, why should we be kind to one another? Because look at the very next verse. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. Now, our chapter and verse separates these. But that's not the separation Paul had in mind. Let me read it this way. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God. Because you see, God is kind. God's loving kindness is that which pervades the Scriptures. It is God's loving kindness that leads to our salvation. It is that which stands as the character of God. And Paul is saying, be an imitator of God now in your marriage, in your church life. Imitate God. What do I need to imitate about God? The fact that God is kind. That should be imitated by me in marriage. That's the call. That's the command. Not just in church, because sometimes it's easier in church than it is in marriage. Sometimes it's easier to wash the feet of unknown people than it is to wash the people, the wash the feet of known people. But I remind you, as we'll come back to it tonight as well, that Jesus washed the feet of the people he knew best upon this planet. His disciples. He knew exactly how stinky, how rank, how rebellious those feet were. Sometimes it's easier to be kind to the person who we work with than it is to be kind to the person we're married to. Because oftentimes, in a marriage, we take it for granted. And this verse comes to us as a reminder of the fact that we are to be kind to our spouse. We say... We love our spouse. We love our husband. We love our wife. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is kind. Let me give you some examples of that church life, and then I'll narrow it down to, to marriage. 
it's not kind to pass on forward or post malicious gossip. That is not kind. We, we are called to be kind to one another. Not verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. We're not called to that life. We are called to be kind. We never pass that on. We never post that junk. We never post that garbage. We never publicly call into question the integrity of another fellow believer in Jesus Christ. That's not what we're called to. We let it go. We deal with it in other ways. We deal with it personally. We go to the individual. We don't publicly broadcast it. We don't call into question decisions other people have made publicly. That is not kind. That's not our place. That's not our responsibility. We are to be kind towards one another. Want to check up? Go back. Go back. Look over the posts you've made. Look over the, the things you've put out there publicly. Are they kind? Or are you passing on malicious slander? Are you passing on unkind words? Are you quoting something and then inserting it out of context? Not knowing for sure all of the circumstances. And rather than doing the hard work of going to the person, talking to them and say, hey, what's up with this? It's just put out there. Be kind. Here's another example. When one's failings are spoken of, you're in a setting and people are ripping on somebody because of some failing fault that they have. Do you join in? Because that's not kind. Or do you remind people of the good things of that person's life? Of how that person is a blessing? Be kind. Perhaps that same thing would be an application to our marriages as well, right? Somebody rips on our wife or our husband. Do we add a few lines of our own just to be one of the boys or to be one of the girls just to show, yeah, I hate my husband as much as you hate yours. I hate my wife as much as you hate your wife. So I can add to that. which is beneficial, that which is useful, that which is a servant serving the other, that which is as Christ to them. To be mindful. See, kindness is to be mindful of our spouse's feelings. To not belittle to not engage in sarcasm about their abilities or non-abilities.
be kind is not taking them for granted. This is probably a silly illustration, but maybe it maybe it'll it's not the illustration itself that I'm going, yep, this is it. it. It's more the application and how you would take it in other contexts. So let's suppose, husband, that you're kind of fastidious about your vehicle. You like your vehicle clean. You like it clean on the outside, you like it clean on the inside. You like a clean vehicle. And you spend a lot of time making sure that vehicle is clean. Your wife asks to borrow your vehicle. Your hers is in the shop, whatever. Yeah, that's fine. Take good care of it, hon. Oh yeah, I will. I will. She loads the three kids up in the car along with it and well, she stops at McDonald's. Yeah, and you guessed it, the pop spilled in the back seat, the ketchup got over some of the cloth, and you know what? There's even bags with french fries still at the bottom, and that half cup of coffee is still sitting in your holder. Would you consider that to be kind? No, there's probably an uproar going on right about now when that vehicle pulls in and when you look inside. Why is it any different when you totally disregard walking into the house at the end of the day of work and just throwing your coat here and your shoes here or there without any regard for that which went into the cleaning and picking up of that house that day. Well, I worked all day. Yeah, so did she. See, it's just being kind. No, it's not kind she trashed your vehicle, but it's not kind you trashed the house. It's not kind that you need to be reminded over and over and over and over again to pick up your clothes not kind to be reminded of the fact over and over and over again not to leave the towel wadded up in the corner or to leave the toilet seat up or down whichever one it is just close the thing and you're probably better off not taking one for granted yeah the meal Wednesday night wasn't perfect. It was pretty well thrown together. Suppose you could be unkind and comment on it. What is this junk we're having today? Where's my meat and potatoes? How come it's a casserole? You know I don't like casseroles. Uh, forgetting about the fact that she had to run the kids around and one of them was sick, so she had to pick them up from school, take them to the doctor. Oh, yeah, and there was that doctor's appointment she took your mom to in the morning. Be kind. Be kind. This is the call. This is what's going on. To be kind thinks of 
the spouse before one thinks of yourself. Kindness is not crabbiness. Kindness is not irritability. Kindness is not a sour disposition. Kindness is not rudeness. Kindness is not withdrawal. Kindness is not jumping down their throat for every mistake. Kindness, and my family knows this one well, is not the look. Or as my kids often put it, the hairy eyeball. Kindness is Christ on his knees with a basin and a towel. A considerateness of the nth degree. But if kindness isn't done with the small acts, it will never have meaning in the large. Note to self. Secondly, we are called in this passage not only to be kind to one another, but we are to be tender-hearted towards one another. Tender-hearted, the meaning of that word means to be compassionate, to have a gut-level caring that is genuine, especially to the erring. It is the idea of being having your gut turned over because you care so much about a circumstance or situation. This is what we have been reading about in the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus looked upon him with compassion. And Jesus saw with compassion. He saw with compassion, compassion, compassion. Over and over and over again in this Gospel of Mark that we've been studying, comes out this compassion of Christ. It's that tender-heartedness. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd, and he has compassion upon them. They're not perfect sheep. They're not great sheep. They're wandering sheep, and he has compassion for these erring sheep. Be imitators, chapter 5, 1, of God. How am I to imitate God? By being tender-hearted. How am I to be tender-hearted? Where? Yes, amongst God's people, but also within a marriage. Count the cost. As you build upon that foundation or think about that foundation, are you willing to count the cost that says, this is what my heart is to be like. My actions are to be kind, and my heart is to be full of compassion, a tenderness, a softness, a pliableness, not hard-hearted, not stone-cold. See, the opposite to this is that which Paul said, Back in verse 31, which is malice. That's the hard-heartedness. That's the evil intent. 
But all that I do, all that I say, is to be done out of a love and care that is genuine. Not a brownie point earner. But it arises out of a sincerity of love for my spouse. A tenderness that makes my heart always pliable. Let me provide a few more applications. The opposite of this is to be uncaring. The opposite of this is to be dismissal. Men, you know what that means. It means, ah, yeah, that time. Don't have to pay attention to this. Oh, here we go again. Don't have to listen. I'll just turn off the ears. That's not tender-hearted. It's not what we're called to. It's not to validate. Tender-hearted, compassionate, means to be one who listens and sees. One who recognizes and perceives. It is, oh, I know, guys, here's the word, right? It is to communicate and it is to express. This is what Jesus does. This is what I am to be. This is what it means to be an imitator of God. God just doesn't hold back his care. He pours out his love. He speaks of his love. It's to follow through with actions that demonstrate that caring. It means not to be stingy, not to be controlling, not to be domineering. This is the counter to men who in their marriages believe that they are the dictator. Now, the dictator is the one of a tender heart. The head of the house, the one who has been given that responsibility, is the one of great tenderness, compassion, sensitivity. What is going on? Three commands. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. Be forgiving. Favor that cancels. Favor that sets aside. It means to exercise grace. Not because it's earned, not because it's deserved, but to be an imitator of God in forgiving as God forgives. To forgive in grace, not in merit. God never forgives one of my sins or one of your sins because you've earned it. It is always unmerited forgiveness. Because it is always in Christ. 
that the forgiveness comes to you and I, never because of us. Paul gives us the reason. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you, be an imitator of God. Yes, amongst one another, but certainly then within our marriages. The art of forgiveness needs to be practiced by us. Do you remember all your sins? Do you remember every sin you've committed? Do you remember all the sins you committed yesterday? All of them. Not just some, all of them. Not just the biggies. Every single sin. What has God done with every single one of those sins? Forgiven them. Do you even know what they are? No. You don't even, you can't even recall the sins. Have you ever been in this situation where you've come to God after committing a sin and you said, God, I know this was a sin, I know it's wrong, I will never do that sin again. Five minutes later, you commit the sin. What does God do? Forgives the sin. Even the sins I can't remember, even sins that I repeatedly commit. Yes. This is God's forgiveness. How many times have you committed that same sin? Five, ten, fifteen, hundred, a thousand? What has God done with every single one of those thousands? Of sin. He's forgiven. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. For if you do not forgive men their trespasses, if you do not forgive men their sins, Your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Whoa. Hard words. Yes. As God in Christ forgave you. Let me give you three words. Three words. These come not from myself. They come from Albert Barnes. God's forgiveness, number one, is always freely given. Freely given can never hold over someone's help, head. I will forgive you only if you do this. Because God doesn't forgive us that way. Secondly, God not only forgives freely, God forgives fully. Every offense. Every offense. God forgives. And thirdly, God forgives liberally. He forgives often and he loves to forgive. 
He enjoys forgiving. This is God. How am I to forgive? How am I to practice that in the church? How am I to practice that in a marriage? Many of us aren't prone to bring up old grievances. Here it comes again. I am certainly glad God doesn't do that with me. Because I'd be sitting there a long time. Always a clean slate. Oh, it doesn't mean there's no accountability. Oh, no, of course. There is always accountability for our sin, and there are always consequences of our sin. Of course there is. But that's different than having a heart that is unforgiving. This is what we are to do. Forgive, even in our marriages. And sometimes it's easier to forgive Joe over there in the other corner for something he did or said, or Frida or whatever, for something she said, than it is to forgive the person in our own home. But God wants our marriages not only to be built upon a solid foundation. God wants to see our marriages lived out to the world, to the community, to our own children. Imagine, my friends, what, what seed is being sown in the head of a child if it sees its parents being unkind, cold-hearted, and unforgiving. What do you think that child thinks about marriage? See, we have a responsibility to train up our children. How? By showing kindness and tender-heartedness, and forgiveness. This one, that God in his providence has brought to us. And my friends, people will come by the droves to hear, what's this that you have? The answer is, not a great marriage. We have a great God. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Challenging words. Tough words. For us to swallow. Yet, Father, so beautiful. And so full of love and care and compassion. So full of forgiveness. Lord, here we are, we stand before you again confessing 
Not one of us here is without sin. But we confess. We confess our sin. We acknowledge it before you. We desire, we desire to live the holy life you've called us to. We desire to live that spirit-filled life. Lord, we want to be a Christian in our heart. Help us to live it in our life. For your glory, for your praise. And God's people say,